0: I feel like AI is like the new four-letter word or something. Like everybody wants to love it, either love it or hate it. There's really kind of no in-between.
1: Welcome to the Optimize podcast, brought to you by Visible Thread. We bring you the best and latest insights for everything from government contracting on topics such as BD, capture, proposal management, and business writing. Every series of Optimize is hosted by an expert in their field who brings their expertise and real-life experience to each episode. This podcast series is hosted by Tan Wilson, President of Intellect. Tan is a renowned GovCon influencer who has spearheaded business processes and bid strategies that have clinched contracts worth over $150 billion to her clients. She is a bid strategist, executive coach, mentor, Marvel and DC enthusiast, and self-proclaimed bourbon lover. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and wherever you are listening. Now let's join Ton on this episode.
0: There, welcome to our Optimize podcast. And in this issue, we're going to dive into a crucial aspect of government contracting. How do we transition seamlessly from the capture to the proposal stage while still ensuring that we don't drop the baton for success in the final stretches? So we've all heard the saying that you win in capture, you lose in proposals. But how do we strike that balance um, between these two stages? Today, join us for a candid discussion as we unravel the challenges and triumphs that GovCon professionals face every day in this relay race to victory. So picture this, you've invested weeks, months, years, blood, sweat, tears, into capturing a new opportunity. And now comes the pivotal moment, the responding to the proposal. But how do you ensure that the baton isn't dropped? This game that we play is not a game for individuals, but it's an entire team running in the same direction. So we are joined today by two wickedly smart women who have been in those trenches and are ready to kind of share their insights, Stephanie Zink and Jennifer Adeli. Their contact information is going to be provided to you so you can reach out to them directly afterwards. Um, To kind of pick their brain and to understand how it is that they're able to obtain such great success in this business. So, early this year, the three of us were on a panel at Optimize 23, and we had such a great time that we thought, why not bring the team back together again and have additional discussions on a topic that apparently we live, breathe, and dream about like all the time? So, um, Stephanie, Jennifer, why is Say hello to our, um, our audience here and say a few words about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Adeli. And yes, it's
2: sad but true that having a good time for us is doing a podcast about proposals. Um, so, yes, we decided to do this again. Um, I am the Chief Growth Officer at EdgeSource Corporation. And um, in that role, you know, responsible for BD marketing, scaling, growth, all the things that go along with that. And that includes proposals. And I came into that role after more than a decade of having my own proposal management consulting firm and doing exactly that every day with small businesses, picking up that baton from their in-house capture team, taking it over the finish line in the far of a wedding proposal. So thanks for having me. Looking forward. Hi, I'm Stephanie Zink,
3: president and owner of Taurus Group Incorporated. Uh, I've been on my own doing kind of the proposal shop uh, for about 10 years now, and Uh, primarily focused within the federal government contracting space, uh, but all things proposals primarily, uh, living in the production management and just sort of a full suite of resources for proposal production as well. Although we do dabble in capture, as I think we'll get into in this call here today, as we are required to do so necessarily because of that interrelated working with the organization. Um, So happy to be here as well and look forward to the
0: conversation. So a little bit of fun right you know if i had a drink we'd sit around and you know have a bourbon and kind of chit chat for a little bit here but um i like to play a game of would you rather um and so i'm gonna pose a question here so would you rather do an oral proposal presentation to a room full of noble laureates or a group of toddlers oh um
3: well I'm going to pick the toddlers every time I will take precocious over
2: pretentious any day. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think I would also choose toddlers, but I actually would argue that it doesn't matter who the audience is because you probably need to speak at the same level anyways, right? When we're dealing with, you know, if you're doing a proposal and it's on a complex dating analytics, uh, computer engineering proposal, the evaluators are probably not data scientists. They're probably contracting officers. And so you don't want to necessarily speak at that PhD level. You want to speak in sort of the everyday language to explain the problem and the solution. So maybe a toddler and a Nobel laureate, like you couldn't necessarily bridge the gap, but I think if you strive to, maybe that's the right place
0: to be anyways. You know, I I tend to agree. So like that whole KISS method, right? It, and, and the funny thing is, is that I always say that I'm technical enough to kind of understand what you're saying, but not enough to kind of get myself into trouble, right? So if you can explain it to me, who's not a super technical person and, you know, like in some fields, then you've got my attention and I totally understand that. So the KISS method really is good. So I choose the toddlers any day too, because I think they're just a lot more fun, but (laughs) who do I know? I don't think I've ever met a a Nobel laureate, so, (laughs) but you know, seriously, though. So let's just let's just cut to the chase because we've got a lot of things we kind of want to talk about. And let's start off with the um, the starting line, right? We're at the starting line. We're going to kick off the capture. Uh, we've laid the groundwork that we've done during capture. And now it's time to like really kind of sprint, right? Um, and some industries and in business development and capture are kind of put together, but they really kind of need to work And I hate to use the term seamlessly, um, but in sync with each other, you know, like that whole relay race, you kind of have to continue to kind of start running next to the person that you're passing the baton to. So is there like a clear delineation between these two distinctive groups um, with the fact that they have two very critical roles? Sometimes they kind of get a little messy and some industries and some companies just because their size um, you're just not large enough. Like you're, you, you know, not everybody can be as large as GDIT and have, you know, one person for every capture effort and, you know, this functional area and stuff like that. Some small businesses, you have to be the the many hats kind of person. So where's that fine line that separates those two different activities? And is there really a line that we need to draw?
2: Um, I'll, I'd be happy to pick that one up and we might this passing the baton metaphor, but I'll pick that one up from you, um, and run with it. Um, so I would say there is a line, but none of the lines are solid. They're they're always going to be porous, or like if you look at like a gradient line, maybe uh, versus like a thick solid, you know, sharpie kind of line. Um, so in my mind, in the way that we tackle the BD versus capture discussion, is that. The word business development, the word development is doing a lot of work there. Um, You are kind of doing, in the commercial sector, you might call it demand generation. You are developing those opportunities. You're looking at pipelines. You're looking at government forecasts. For example, Department of Homeland Security um, posts on their acquisition forecast portal all the opportunities that are coming up. Are they recompetes? Are they small business? What's the scope? What's the time frame? You can use public resources like Sam.gov. You can use um, all the different portals for different agencies. You can use tools like GovWin or GovTribe to look at forecasts. And then you can talk to your customers. So you're developing that. But at the time of capture, you're crossing that line again, whether it's a Sharpie type line or like a porous one. And now I think of it a little bit I visualize capture, like you're hugging it, like capture the flag or something. And you're literally going, okay. I'm taking this opportunity that that I've seen coming for a long time. It's running towards me, and now I need to grab it. Now, how do I grab it? I grab that through the right team. I grab that through the right personnel. I have the right PM that I'm going to bid on this. I capture it through the right pro, uh, pricing, and then at the end, I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to hand it over to the proposal. They're going to finish that capture for me, and they're going to deliver the. They're going to make sure that everything I've developed. Through the BD and capture process makes it into the finished product, but that capture for me, you can see I keep doing this, and because that's literally what I picture. I picture someone sort of like tackling and like I got you, I won you, and that to me is the difference between BD when you're seeing it come towards you and capture you're grabbing it. Yeah, that's neat. I I mean I
3: kind of like that too. You know when you think about um, the delineation, um, I would also concur that it is not a hard line, right? And if you want to consider it, much like. Uh, I don't know, a funnel, you know? I mean, we often look at the business development continuum overarchingly as a bit of a funnel. You can kind of think of it as an iterative process. I like to think of the kind of BD continuum, almost like I would write a proposal, right? You start with your outline and then you kind of iterate to the final solution. So in the capture phase, I think, where we start to kind of delineate and pass that baton to proposals as capture is focusing on the the high-level strategy, the solutions overview, um, identifying maybe some of the initial clear discriminators, any of the initial gap analysis, the initial risk assessment, and what Proposals is then doing, like you said, is kind of taking it and refining it. Uh, So we are now turning those discriminators into win themes. We are pulling them into call-outs. We are taking a gap analysis. And we're trying to plug gaps with teammates, like you said, or pricing strategies, or solutions development in tandem with subject matter experts. So to me, it's sort of an, an, an iteration towards a more refined product. And if you want to look at it as sort of a narrowing down of a funnel, I sort of think of it like that. So there's definitely a lot of overlap kind of in those lines. Um, I know I've heard other people say much like in the capture and proposal phase, it's often uh, proposals needs to be involved in captures and captures need to be involved in proposals. So in the capture phase, it's sort of a big C, little p. And in proposals phase, it's a big P, little c, right? Because you need to reach back to those capture strategies.
0: Love this discussion because um, it, it really kind of sets up the rest of our in-depth discussion um, about how do we uh, how do we really go like how do we strategize this relay race and I think what Jennifer was saying uh, is capture really does involve several people so in the capture phase itself you may run you may be running your own relay races with several different people. So, you know, people are always kind of coming in and coming out of the race and things like that. It may be the same person. It may be a different person. It may be a different group and organization. So I think that's the really difficult thing sometimes for people to understand. And I, Jennifer, thank you for laying that out because uh, you've, you've made it like really easy to kind of digest because it is m- Blurred a lot of the times, and it 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 makes me kind of cringe. For those of us who are kind of purist and understand what's the importance, and you know, my 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 mantra is you know, uh, value over importance. Everything is important, but what is the value that you're contributing to each phase? What is the value that you're bringing? What is the value of what we're doing? Um, you know, towards ultimately. a a victorious end product. So, you know, we're passing out the baton. Batons, it gets messy, right? Things like things get dropped. Um, Nothing ever goes perfectly. We understand that. Um, So, you know, now that we kind of set the stage and and really understand the whole like capture process a little bit better, now we got to hand it off to proposals, right? That's a whole different beast. Proposals operate very differently and they do that by design. And so um, when you can be maybe a little fluid and maybe be a little gray about things, proposals, it's a little bit more black and white. And it takes a very different personality. It takes a different team member to be part of this team, you know, that we move towards the proposal process. So it always goes smoothly, right? Like I kind of see sometimes... um, passing the baton, is almost kind of like throwing a grenade, you know, like some capture managers, <laughs> like, I'm going to throw this over to you. I hope you're going to catch it, but I'm going to like, peace out. I'm, I, I'm moving on. And they're on to like their next squirrel that they're, you know, that they're chasing. Um, so, you know, who's going to jump on this grenade first here? Like we've just passed the proposals and now proposals, you go do your magic. Um, interesting. I, you know, a grenade is often
3: what it feels like. I think um, I've also uh, considered it a hot potato at times, right? Here's yours. I'm back at you. Um, and and maybe the back at you thing gives us a little bit more of an understanding of this baton pass that actually does have to happen at times. Um, for me, uh, I mean, as you said, it doesn't always go smoothly, right? And so I've, always understood and wanted and sought after good capture strategies because good capture strategies lead to good proposal strategies. What I sort of intonated at the beginning is uh, while I focus on proposals in my organization, we do some limited capture, and we do some limited capture mostly out of necessity. Uh, When you find that the capture hasn't been developed properly, what happens is you constantly seek the answers, the information, the strategy, the solutions, the discriminators, the gaps, et cetera, uh, that you're missing uh, for the elements of telling the the true compelling story. Um, and so I think for for me, I see things like that not necessarily always going well when you haven't developed and documented, frankly, um, a really well-developed capture strategy uh, it becomes one of those things where you then sort of have to peel back the onion from proposals and get to the core, the center of, uh, I guess, the goodness of an onion. Um <laughs> in order to get to the actual story there. So um, so yes, we see that that doesn't always happen, I think, as, uh, as beautifully as we would like it to. Uh, but uh, I definitely like to see good capture strategies documented in proposals.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you read my mind completely because I was thinking about the handoff and one of the uh, other mantras is that um, we can't read minds. The proposal team cannot read minds. And so you know, we sometimes will see even during like a pink team or a red team, or even further along the process, you'll see comments of like, why isn't this, you know, in the proposal? Why aren't we talking about X? Why why wasn't Y highlighted? And that's because it's living in the head of a capture team member or an executive or a PM, but it was never trans- transitioned over either through a solutioning session or a documentate- documentation, with, you know, maybe a Kickoff briefing or notes in a capture record. So I'm not a fan of busy work or you know documentation for documentation's sake. Like you know big big slide decks of like capture like 100 slides. Like no, I'm not a fan of that. But there are key points that you need to make sure that what's in your head is making it into the person who's putting fingers to keyboard um, in order to write that proposal. Now, if you can data dump it yourself, pick you know participate, especially when it comes time for outlining or doing those first drafts. And if you as a capture person can even go in and like add chunks and um annotated outline kind of things that need to be called out. If it's not in a captured deck, at least it's in that first raw, you know, instance of the proposal. And then it's out of your head. It's out there live. Then we have some accountability to make sure that it gets fully flushed out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the frustrating part. And I I so get frustrated. I I I come from a strong capture. Uh, background and so to me, casher is the center of like every universe. It, it can make or break, you know, opportunities, uh, and it, it frustrates me because there's some really good capture managers out there who make sure, like you said, that they communicate that where we're not clairvoyant, right? Um, But a lot of times what you hear is, oh, we'll get it in there. You know, we got all this time. I'll get that in there. And then they get to red and we're at gold and they're like, it still doesn't, you know, it's still not singing um, the themes that we want to sing. And I was like, well, you had all this time to kind of get that in there. And so uh, you know, moving forward, it's it's been my process is to get Capture engaged in the outlining of solution early yeah. because the writers are looking for that. They need to know that. And I'm, I'm really, um, I've been really impressed with the sophistication of some writers recently and some technical people where they're pushing back on Capture and saying, hey, I can write a million pages, but tell me. How many pages do you need? What should I be focusing on? What are the customer hot buttons? Right? Like, what are my what are my themes? And it doesn't have to be anything sophisticated, like you said, right? Like, I don't I don't need like three hundred, you know, PowerPoint slides to explain one easy concept. Um, but it does need to kind of be done in the initial annotated outline process because it helps everybody. Um, and in this day and age, where we're all collaborating online, we're not checking in and checking out anymore like we used to have to do. You know, it's it's very easy to be transparent from the yeah. onset. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's a really really great point. So, uh, you know, now we're okay. So we're we're drafting our response. We're we're sprinting towards the end here. Uh, all the proposal miracle workers are working on this document. Um, And so it's funny that the writing now has been so improved. I've seen such easy ways of not only collaborating with Office 365, with other, you know, ways to kind of collaborate online, Um, and, and now we've introduced like AI, and, uh, you know, I feel like AI is like the new four-letter word or something. Like everybody wants to love it, either love it or hate it. There's really kind of no in-between when you say AI or ChatGTP or other types of, you know, software. Um, so can't I just, like, I can use that, right? Like I can use like AI to just write it, you know? And it's like, it's that whole phrase, can't you just, is, is one of my most hated phrases besides, you know, cutting edge. Uh, because like those two things don't get ready on day one. <laughs> like day one. Like what other phrases do I hate? Like I like <laughs> cutting edge, leading edge tech like, well you can't say leading edge technology, but um, you know, like we do it like better than anybody else. Yeah. And um there's a whole bunch of those. Like we can do a pod just on
2: Cliches and I transition yeah
0: <laughs> transition
2: yes yeah
0: yeah like, so their proposal like team miracle workers is ai the solution to like all of our like you know writing problems wow um well, I talking... love bringing up ai I, like yeah uh, i mean
2: yeah hey go ahead grenade thrown everybody wants to jump on that grenade right yeah um so i have a, i might have a controversial take um, in the proposal industry, right? Because I actually think that there is a very valuable place for it. And it's that first, like there's nothing worse than a blank piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and we tackle that with outlines and writing prompts and all of that. So ideally you don't get a blank piece of paper. And so that, that could be enough to, to spin the flywheel and get the writers going, especially if they're technical people, you know, they're not used to writing in proposal jargon, but... I think that there are some some places that you can save time and efficiency, especially in things that we might dub like boilerplate. Um, so let's say like a recruiting plan, right? You should have a recruiting plan already developed that reflects your co- your company's processes. But if you if you need to like update that or if you need to customize it, I don't know that I would put my valuable subject matter experts' time and energy into that with the tools that we have today. I would rather take the requirements, give it to a chat GPT and say, uh, write a a recruiting plan for me that meets this process or these requirements, right? But never, ever, ever stop with what chat GPT or another AI tool did because just like 10 years ago or yesterday, we had to take a writer and they had to do lots of iterations to get it to where it needs to be. You should never, ever stop with what chat GPT gives you. Um, Take it as a way to get that flywheel starting so that your intellectual capital, the stuff that is your secret sauce, like you have somewhere to put it, right? Um, So that's my controversial take. Another place that we use it actually is to help with writing like job ads and recruiting and position descriptions. So like when when they say like key personnel must have this, this, this. Like mm-hmm. I pop it into ChatGPT because I don't want my recruiter spending two hours developing a PD. This is a little bit of a sidebar, but I don't want them spending all that time writing job descriptions when they're really formulaic, right? Like they kind of all look yeah. the same. I let a tool like ChatGPT do the stuff that can be boilerplate and have them really focus their time there. And I think you can use the same approach when it comes to proposals. Now,
0: Stephanie. Before you jump on this grenade, or before <laughs> yeah, I pass sorry. this. Before we pass the piston to you on this one, I'm gonna throw out another trigger word, right? Uh storyboarding. So oh. I kind of equate ChatGTP yeah. a little bit to storyboarding, right? Like yeah. I I I feel that chat or other AI software helps you kind of better storyboard. Like so those who were really reluctant to storyboarding. Are now, they just now have automation that like automatically does it for me. Yeah. So I'm as a pro AI. Interesting. My uh, initial
3: impression is I mean, we've all seen the Terminator, right? Like, you know, (laughs) my brain just goes, no, 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 Skynet. Um, But generally, I, I I can understand that there is a time and there is a place. Right. So I would concur that in the land of, you know, I really like the term, you know, kind of getting the flywheel started. Right. What you sometimes need is something at which to throw darts, something which to put in front of your subject matter experts to add the flavor, the secret sauce, you know, the specialty items and things like that. Um, I would also suggest that I think in a lot of instances where we just are seeing these ridiculously compressed timelines, it also just assists the process in getting started that much faster. Where you have the time, I would always argue that it is best to try to reintegrate things that I think a lot of folks are skipping in our proposal space, like black hats and blue teams, you know, we sort of forget and we launch straight into pink or we combine a pink and red because we don't have time to do a full color suite. I think a a really well-run black hat, you know, where you're using your capture management team's resources properly to identify some of those key themes, having your technical writers present to ask the questions, develop some of the content that, you know, like, like you said, Tom, like you need that information to kind of pull together, to build the outlines, to kind of develop. Up the concepts. Um, I would always lean towards please insert the human element, please identify, you know, where we can show we have a unique and compelling story. I mean, even in an LPTA space. So that's sort of my, you know, like let's reintegrate the human element. But I can absolutely understand the kind of laying the platform.
0: So it is, it is a light, right? It's a it's a little gray right now. I think it's a one of those things with new technology you're not quite sure about. Like, remember when VPC, uh, right. Privia, 0365, they all came out with a new way to kind of collaborate and do color team reviews virtually. Um, there were people who were like, no, I want you in my war room. I want to see you, touch you. I want to be able to like hit you. Uh, you know, like I-, I want you to print. Like I actually did one... Oh my God, it it must have been, it felt like yesterday because I'm still suffering from PTSD from that one. But they were like, I want you to print out 20 copies because I'm going to like give you uh, red pens and post-its and flags. And that's how you're going to do the color team reviews. And I would spend hours and I was like, oh, there's such a better way to do this. Let me introduce you to, you know, uh, O365 and the online collaboration, (laughs) you know, Possibilities, so I think we're going through like a similar growing, growing pain, and you know, resettling of how is this all going to work in this whole grand scheme of, you know, proposals. So um, yeah, stay tuned for it. There's an episode on AI. I, I I dive into that a little bit further. So uh, the good, the bad, the ugly of it, right? Um. So great. Let's go into. Uh, a little bit more of an in-depth discussion on some of these things that we've kind of talked about. It, it's a great overview of like our relay race. Um, but, you know, being successful, you it's like, I don't want to say it's like a hamster wheel, but it's kind of a perpetual 24-hour relay race. Like i am I'm doing this for, you know, to cure cancer type of relay race. I'm like, I'm always going to be running this race. But the beauty of it is, when the handoff goes smoothly, all of a sudden everyone's super excited, they're more confident. Uh, but there's really no shame when you drop the baton, right? Like I always tell my junior, my junior staff and people who I mentor that you can't strive to be a perfectionist or perfect in this business because you're gonna crash and burn you're going to hate yourself. You're going to blame yourself for a lot of things. And so there are a lot of things that are kind of out of your control, um, in life and in this industry and and, in general. And so, you know, really learning from when things get dropped and when problems arise, I think is, is really critical, um, to kind of help learn and develop, um, and, and like better strategies for how to solve that. So, you know, what are some of your like in the trenches or you've run like 8,000 miles um, in this relay race that we call GovCon, what are some advice that you can kind of give um, our listeners on this? And, you know, our listeners really kind of come from different walks of life. And I think it's really good, not only to kind of explain to those who are new to the industry, kind of level setting that expectation that be kind to yourself. And be kind to others, you know, who are kind of coming up here. There's, there's no formal class on this. There's, yes, there's training and, you know, there's companies out there that do that. But, you know, you can go to a million training courses, but until you get into the trenches and really kind of unpack some of these opportunities, just last week, I experienced something that I have never seen before. And I was like, and I thought I've seen it all. You know, like I still have that attitude, like, oh, I've, yeah, yeah, no, this is, you know, I've seen this before. This is how we solve that. But uh, what are some of the things that you've kind of come across that are, um, that would be life changing for some of our listeners?
3: I mean, we could probably ping pong this one. Um, I mean, I can, I, I listed a couple things in my notes here. So I'll grab one and then we can kind of run. But um, I think one thing, uh, just to kind of, sp- take the kind of lessons learned approach here, right, you know, is really take an opportunity to kind of catalog, you know, perhaps those missteps, the baton drops and things like that as well as a learning opportunity. Like you said, Tan, it's not necessarily anything that you can control as these things happen. Um, so identify, you know, what went wrong there. I think one of those things that often goes wrong is just like a resourcing discussion and Having a conversation upfront, pre-RFP, really working through an overarching kind of capture management strategy of a legitimate identification of the resourcing needs internal and external that you need to support a particular bid will save so much time, energy, effort, you know, (laughs) tears uh, as you're kind of working through these baton passes. Employee consultant burnout is a very, very real thing, especially in our environment. And recognizing that upfront, identifying people by name, ensuring everybody's got a backup or that somebody's being communicated with about what is happening within this resourcing discussion, I think will keep the conversation flowing. I think it will reduce baton drops because somebody is always there to kind of pick it up and run, um, even if we've lost time, even if we have to restart something. Um, I think some of that resourcing discussion is something that is a really key takeaway from this. soon and as early as you can identify that so that you kind of reduce the oppor- yeah, well, the, the problems that you would necessarily have with some of those burnout issues.
2: Excellent. And um, thinking about resourcing, one of the ways that we have tried to make that baton pass work, especially when you're working with an external resource, you're working with a proposal management firm or independent outside consultant. Exactly. We're like, like yourselves or like the company that I used to have, and we still use um, external resources ourselves, um, is um, trying to standardize as many of those handoff points as possible. And I wanna, I'm cautious about using the word standardized because that sounds like really big and heavy and onerous. And I don't, I really try to stay away from that When By standardized, I mean, just like do the same thing, uh, reduce your decision fatigue, right? So for example, have your, these do sound so easy, right? And I'm a big fan. I have it over here on my desk. I should grab it. But uh, Checklist Manifesto is a great book. Um, It's very small. It's essentially the methodology that pilots use, which is called the Checklist Manifesto, the book. And it's written by a pilot. It's probably 20 plus years old. And it talks about using checklists. Now you don't have to have, again, formal checklists, but I'm talking about mental checklists. So for example, if you know that every time You make a bid decision. What are the next things that happen? We turn on this, we uh, stand up the SharePoint portal. We have all the, make the folders the exact same every time. Um, We have a folder that says, copy me, a a library that says, copy me. And all the subfolders are exactly the same. And there's links to our master proposal template in there. So that if we change the master, you always are grabbing the latest. So you don't have any decision fatigue. And all you need is one person to know that when a bid decision is made, they turn on that that SharePoint library and that SharePoint library copies the other one. So it's like a two click thing. Nobody has to ask who's signed. Nobody has to ask, how should I organize it? It's always organized the same way. So it helps with that decision fatigue up front and passing the baton. But it also helps that when you're doing the proposal, everybody who's coming in recognizes that folder library hierarchy. They know exactly where to go to find the certain type of documents or instructions, and they don't have decision fatigue ask either. They're not having to text you saying, where can I find the RFP? Where can I find the pink team draft? It's always in the same place on every proposal. And it sounds so obvious, but those little things will again, clear your brain, clear your baton passes. And just that way your brain can focus on the stuff that is added value, intellectual capital, secret sauce, and so on.
3: Yeah. Can, can I grab that thread a little bit? The beauty of doing things like that for yourself is that you create a kind of a culture where everybody accepts that that is what they do. Everybody accesses and utilizes the system, the collaboration platform. Those folders get populated and they are there for posterity's sake, which is great. What I think we often find is we just don't have the files. We don't know where to find things. They're lodged in somebody's head. Why are we doing this again? I think I've written this past performance um, response. Where is that? So if you can get into a habit of whether you want to call it standardized or whatever you want to call it, um, people start using the process. People start respecting the process. And then you start having all of those artifacts available in order to expedite and create efficiencies in the future.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a perfect demo. We're going to ping pong a little bit here, if you don't mind, Tian. So um, thinking about is stuff being in people's heads. Uh, when I came on board um, at my, you know, at EdSource, they had all their past performance. I'm sorry. They had all their prior proposals organized by year. So instead of by, because it was in their head, because they knew inherently, oh, yeah, we've been on that. It was 2019. It was 2021. They knew to go to that folder. So it it seems, again, self-evident. But one of the first things we did was like, no, 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 this needs to be organized by agency because then I don't have to ask someone, where would I find that last State Department proposal or where would I find that? So little things like that, even how you label it, think about, can somebody find it if without asking me? I'm a huge fan of self-service. Huge if you have a self-service mantra, then that will go a long way with the
0: baton passing and the efficiency and so on. Yeah. I, I have not heard that whole self-service. Uh, hmm. that, that's a really great phrase. Hey, look, it applies to, I use it for raising my children, the self-service, yes. like that self-service. yes. yes. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I think that, that really suits the up and coming generation of professionals, right? You know, um, I'm a I'm a Gen Xer, right? And so we operate very differently than the millennials, than the up and coming uh, professionals. And so we have to understand and really be sensitive to the organization. And so we're really process focused. So a lot of, you know, what you're saying, Jennifer, we we operated. And and that's the reason why a lot of people like working with us is that you're always gonna know what to expect. And I'm always amazed when I go back to a customer that I haven't worked with in a while and I'm like, Hey, that's my artifact. I'm like, wait a second. Those are my folders. Uh, You know, I have like copy me. It's like a standard folder file. It's like that just gets copied over regardless. And it's got artifacts in there, you know, and everything like that. Um, But it's those little things that are a time suck um, that people, you know, like don't realize um, that you could really benefit from. Um, but with that too, though, is I run into some people who are really inflexible about process, and so they'll do that despite, you know, really not being able to kind of pivot and not being able to really kind of assess the situation. And I think that's where you've encountered people who are more experienced. Those of us who have been in the trenches for a while will will kind of know, I'm going to skip this color team review, despite, you know, the fact that, yes, our process says this and we should be doing this, but it doesn't beg for it, right? So task order proposals, different than scorecard proposals, different than longer, bigger, you know, type of uh, multi-year, multi, you know, teammate partner type of tough efforts, and so you really do kind of need to learn how to tailor those, um, you know, those processes for the right situation. Um, and I think the, you know, the other thing too is um, there's a, a time and a place to kind of bring in outside resources. Sometimes you are drinking your own Kool-Aid. To you, it makes sense. And so I've always coming into a situation where I have no idea how or where you store things, but I'm going to ask those indelicate questions sometimes. Or the questions that make me sound a little stupid, like, "Well, how do we do this? Why are we doing it this way? Or where can I find this?" And so, if it's obvious to me, then it should be obvious to anyone. And so, you know, I always kind of say that the process and the work should continue regardless of who's there. So if you have that one person who is like the linchpin to everything, the control, you, you, we all know these people, right? They're like the gatekeepers of everything and no one knows what magically happens between, you know, like behind that door. Like this is not the Wizard of Oz. This is, you know, like you are a corporation. You need to be like, like everybody is dispensable, right? We are not indispensable and and we shouldn't act like or treat you know, the content and the data in, in that manner. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, so what, what other, like uh, what other takeaways or um, in the trenches items should we kind of talk about here? I mean, I can think too. I mean, I you know
3: actual actual AARs lessons learned are few and far between and some of that is based on me just living in sort of an external consultancy world and I'm not necessarily always pulled into those I love when I am um it it is about learning it is about providing feedback it is about documenting it much like a corrective action plan might be if you've identified that you had a resourcing issue you know is it that you need to identify um you know uh a better schedule, better introduction of internal resources? Do you need some external resources? Do you need some training for your internal team? Can you identify what those things are? Identify a specific person to own that as an actual corrective action and then develop and respond to that so that you can feed the proposal process. I think a lot of folks see proposals as the end of the line. And for me, it is still a loopback system. So take the information that you've learned from uh, the actual proposal process itself a win or a loss, and feed that back to even your marketing team. Are we identifying the right agencies? Are we marketing to the right folks? Do we actually have a true mission understanding? I mean, are we losing the same types of bids for the same types of reasons, right? So to me, it's not stopping uh, at the very end of that proposal process. I know it's very easy. I want to do it too. I want to put it in, I think you said, Tom, the, the mental shred bin and go to sleep for eight hours. But it doesn't always work that way. I mean, I think pausing and doing a real AAR is very valuable. Valuable.
2: It is very valuable. You know, one of the things that we strive to do and we don't always do it well and or consistently, but one of the things that I'm a big fan of is, um, is when, when we call it an AAR after action review or lessons learned, it feels um, that has a connotation, right? These yeah. People, it's like they got in trouble. They're at the principal's they office.
0: Because they're like, Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble for something. Or I'm going to like, I don't want to narc on someone. And that's kind of yeah. like the attitude that people take. Yeah, and it, like I, I I get that, and sometimes you know when things go wrong, I think a lot of times it comes from the top down. Like, oh, I need an after action, and a, like, why did it go wrong? But at the same time, just like how you know, just with proposal debriefs, for example, right? Everybody wants a proposal debrief when you lose, and no one ever wants to ask when you win. And it's like you really that, that that's very critical is to understand. Yes, you want. But why did you win? What did you win on? Because that helps then for you in the next relay race that you're going to go, like, I want to do more of that. I need to bring that team member back on, or I need to do less of this and push more of this. And so being able to really kind of get into the mindset of the customer as to like why you win, um, sometimes it's just not always obvious. And so again, customers, you know, they're, they're not clairvoyant. Um, and so you shouldn't always like assume, um, you know, that the reason why you won is because of this, you know, like you may have won because they liked something else. It wasn't because you had a wonderful management plan or the stacking yeah. approach. You were
2: just the cheapest, like, let's be honest, you know, they're like, take it or leave it now. But, you know, picking up on that after action, you know, um, I'm a big fan of a proposal closeout. Um, so we do kickoffs. We are all very familiar with kickoffs, mm-hmm. but- You know, and if we want to talk, if we want to look back on the day, like if you were to look at a Shipley process, right, which nobody really uses the big Shipley process anymore, but there was never really like a closeout. There was like lessons learned and stuff like that, but I love a closeout. And here's what we do if it's done by the book is you built everything up and then you deconstruct it. So you say, oh, that, uh, the updated org charts, take all of those, get them in the graphics library, make sure that they're locked. The new version of the recruiting plan that we did dust off and revise because we have a new tool now, put that in our boilerplate library, make sure that it is appropriately stamped as like, this is the 2023 version or whatever, right? Um, So build it up and deconstruct it. And in my experience, one of the best ways, the best person to have, if you have that resource in, uh, for me, was always the writer. Because the writer or the editor was sort of like that person who really knew the content. So they would know uh, what was different about this management plan versus that one. And they would know that it was, oh, the first paragraph is exactly the same. The last paragraph was exactly the same. But in the middle, we tweaked this process. It's no longer five steps. Now it's three steps. And, And it's no longer circular. It's linear. And so they would be able to kind of call attention and keep that content library up to date and keep those versions up to date. So if you have the ability, and it's quick, actually, if you do it right, it can just be like the next day, submit, celebrate, next morning, okay, what do I need to do to close it out? Change the status in GovWin or in my, um, you know, uh, tool for, for tracking my opportunities, uh, close out the proposal library, deconstruct it, and, that, and then gather lessons learned as well. And if you combine it with closeout, it doesn't feel like it's only being done when you're in trouble, it's just part of the normal process.
3: That's, I think it's wonderful. And it also kind of speaks to your kind of overarching um, ease of checklist process. You know, it's a very easy thing to checklist. You know, someone just needs to do these 27 things. And it it might actually be 27 things, but they're all really easy. You know, like you said, I mean, it might be collecting artifacts from external resources and making sure that you've got everything that's been actually provided. You know, that you reorganize a folder that somebody might have, I don't know, misallocated information. You know, it's making sure that everything's prepared for the next bid.
2: How many times have we said, where is the source graphic for yes. that process flow that we drew in 2021? And oh, yes. Sarah's got it, but she doesn't work for us anymore. Or an outside consultant drew it for us and we never asked for the source file. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's just I kind of call it like my housekeep, like my housekeeping yep. list. Sure. Right. And it's it's good. And I would even take that a step further. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think everyone's IT. We probably appreciate this too, right? Cleaning out like old versions of things. There's no reasons to keep a lot of different things. And so having someone be the, the gatekeeper of, yes, let's get this like 15 million meg file off of, you know, like um, our server or our, like, let's make sure that we don't accidentally grab this graphic and, and, and different things like that. It so now like outdated and we don't meet that, yeah, exactly, right. So let's let's clean house. And I think it's kind of for me, it's kind of therapeutic, really. And and the biggest thing too um, is I notice this sometimes because I get invited to a million different workspaces. Is that no one kills my access, and so that's the worst. Is is data security and the security of everyone, right? You know, it's kick everyone off the team site or out of SharePoint that should no longer be there. If you've got subs, you know, there's no need for them to be in there anymore. Right. You, you know, that's, that's where a lot of data gets lost. And so um, I'm always very hypersensitive about people, the right people having access to the right content. Like I'm all for collaborating. I'm huge on transparency, but like when it's over, I'm locking that puppy down. Like I don't want anybody else to, you know, mess with it or get lost or um save it and walk off to you know their next employer with you know my materials so um no this is this has all been great so um i i think there's so many key takeaways here but i think you know like win lose or draw though like this this whole government contracting you know success relay race um is just we need to practice we need to fall in order to kind of do better and to be better and to be successful. So, but at the end of the day though, win, lose or draw, we win and lose, you know, like as a team. So um, I think that's something that I think we all kind of need to kind of remember as we are um, moving along here in really busy times is just to kind of, you know, be good to each other, be kind um, and, and be understanding that, you know, we're all in it together here. We all want the same result. Uh, so rapid quick fire here, right? Like let's, let's close it out with, um, some, some, some fun questions. So if you had a superpower for winning contracts, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of time
3: travel to the evaluation board would
0: help. <laughs> so you want to be Flash. Like, I'm, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big superhero fan. I, I've yeah. got a son, so I know all my DC Marvel characters. So you yeah, would be yeah. Flash. You would want to be able to, like, time travel.
3: Yeah, maybe it would be a little more about the clairvoyance, you know, element of what are we really, really after here on the evaluation uh, committee board or, you know, those folks really doing that that source selection. But, uh, yeah.
2: Jen? If I had a superpower, it would be to convince all the contracting authorities across the whole federal government to use a standard format and maybe just make it like just like a checklist or something. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> a checklist again. But um, you know, how many times have we seen or like to see errors, you know, in the same RP? Like, come on. Like Same agency. It's like Maybe
3: I changed my mind. If we all have the same superpower, can we super superpower it? <laughs> Like
0: Wonder like Twang. Like Mega Evolve? Like, that's very Pokemon now. We, yeah, we all yeah, want to yeah. Mega Evolve, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> or like the We're like we each... Yes.
2: Well done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I will say that the the fact that... Controversial take as well. I think the fact that companies that are outside proposal consultants and that that whole thing exists is just a sign that it's very inefficient. Like... Yes, we need uh, we need competition. Yes, we need transparency. But the hours and days and lifetimes spent um, cannot be healthy for the federal government in general, right? So, my superpower would be I don't know somehow to slash that in like half or something. I don't know. Love it. <laughs> I
0: have so many like so many different superheroes that it's kind of hard for me to pick because what you're saying, Jennifer, I, I, I would love to have, um, and, and this is why I, I like to participate in the reverse industry days that federal agencies have, because those are really great opportunities for agencies to understand from the industry side, how we interpret things, how we're receiving or perceiving things. And so, um, I, I almost want to be the, um, the character from guardians of the galaxy. She's, I forget what her name is, but she's the one who's an em, uh, She's an oh, empath. Mantis. Mantis. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to be like Mantis, right? Like, Oh, you're feeling, you know, and be able to kind of communicate and convey that because, um, I, I think at the end of the day, if we all kind of understood or like put ourselves in the other person's shoes, I think we, it would, be huge for everybody to understand yeah. where they're coming from why why we say what we do why we do what we do um and it would avoid a lot of this misunderstanding and you know controversy um and stuff like that so uh, all right and then the last one here is describe proposals in one word <laughs> <laughs> god i have so many words one word <laughs> not a phrase
2: <laughs> persuasion Mm, that was okay. positive. If I hyphenate "necessary evil,"
0: is that kind <laughs> <this> a word? Sure. <laughs> I think you were reading my mind because I was actually going to go for a hyphenated word too. Like it is kind of a necessary evil. Um, I was just going to go with "evil" um, in in, in, general. <laughs> in general. That summarizes it, right? We need we need proposals. In Mm -hmm. order to win contracts, we need contracts to keep the, yeah, it's, it's a never. We do need them, right?
2: Back to the topic of like, we do want competition. We do want companies to have an opportunity to get in front of the customer, to introduce their solutions, you know, may the best team win, you know, all that. So they are a necessary evil. Um, I think we can Keep it's gotten so much better. Let's be honest, it ha- and the government has gotten much better on their side too. In in a lot of ways, in some ways, it's still kind of stuck in the dark. But there are a lot of efficiencies, you know, coming through. So I think we're on the right trajectory. It's only taken I don't know my whole career to make it happen. But here,
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. But they could do one more thing for me, and then I'm just going to call it a day and be like, yeah, I- I'm not going to be able to influence. Um, them to do anything different but can we stop with the friday proposal submissions fridays are my mondays they're yeah what are they gonna do are you going to review my proposal after 5 p.m on a friday
3: then just give me the
0: weekend and make it do first thing monday morning
3: right or stop releasing all of the madness on friday yeah with like a
2: two-week turn knowing that those first two days
0: out of the two weeks is automatically like drop it on Monday. So yeah. it's like Monday to Monday. Yeah. You know, I don't really care where they drop it anymore. Cause I actually don't, don't mind a Friday. Cause then I have all weekend to kind yeah. of prepare. Um, but then I, you know, I'm a sadist, uh, um, when it comes to. What if
2: they all dropped on the same day?
0: Like what <laughs> if it was like
2: on the first of every month, you know, and then like everything was just chaos. <laughs>
0: How about the 1st and the 15th of each month? Those are the only yeah. two days that you can yeah. drop a proposal. And then you can
3: still do the two-week turnaround time. Well, to be honest, you can completely resource then because you would absolutely be prepared and understand what is happening.
0: The yeah. industry could totally plan I around Instead of us, like, refreshing, like... Sam.gov every 10 minutes waiting for somebody to come out. Oh, see? Government, industry members who are listening to this podcast. We solved it. Help us to help you. The 1st and the 15th. Until all professionals have heart attacks on the 1st and the
3: 15th <laughs> in the future. Yeah.
0: yeah, No one can have a vacation day on the 1st yes. and the 15th of every month. Yeah, we can work around this. You could just screw it up to, to post at that time. There you go. Exactly. Delayed submission to the 1st and the 15th and no more Friday proposal submissions. I have declared it a holiday. All right,
2: we solved it. We're,
0: here you <laughs> well, go. Ladies. Oh my gosh, this has been like way too much fun. Um, Thank you so much, Stephanie and Jennifer for your time today. I have really you. like we have enjoyed preparing for this topic yep. so much. Um, and I know we could literally do this for the rest of the day, but uh, unfortunately, we all find demands um, yeah. and proposals that we must go and address. So uh, I want to thank the listeners for joining us today. I hope that you have found it not only entertaining, um, but informative. And so stay tuned for our next podcast. We have several in this series here where I will be talking to both industry and government uh, guests. So that's a wrap, folks. Keep sharing, sipping and strategizing. And remember, the secret ingredient is genuine connections and a glass of bourbon infused with wit. Bye. Thanks.
1: And that wraps up this episode of the Optimize podcast. A big shout out to our amazing host, Tan Wilson, and our guests, Stephanie Zink and Jennifer Adeli. Optimize is brought to you by Visible Thread language analysis platform that helps you improve the efficiency and compliance of RFPs, contracts, and mission-critical business writing. Using VT Writer and VT Docs can be game-changing for efficiency and compliance in your documents. For more information, visit visiblethread.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening. Stay tuned for more insightful discussions on the Optimize podcast. Until next time, thanks for joining us.